In this episode, Christy and Belinda serve the tea on magical creatures, the fantastical kind that capture our imaginations and bring magic to life. Welcome to Starlight Tea, where we're serving the tea for living a magically creative life. I'm Christy Cook. And I'm Belinda Boring. Starlight Tea Podcast, a member of the Once Upon a Podcast Network, is brought to you by of Starlight and Moonbeams a team of authors and creators whose goal is to bring more magic and creativity to life. Like the stars and the moon, our mission is to share our light in the darkness, guiding others to discover their own light to shine forth too. To receive notifications of new episodes of Starlight Tea and new issues of Moonbeams Magazine, as well as exclusive gifts and offerings, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter at ofstarlightatmoonbeams.com. Hey, Christy, what's in your cup this week? Ooh, in my physical cup, I am drinking raspberry lemon flavored water, vitamin water. Ooh. Keep myself hydrated because it's still so freaking hot out there. And in my life cup, I have been doing absolutely nothing except working on the magazine that we just put out into the world. So yeah, we just released our August issue of Moonbeams Magazine. Every quarter we do a special edition and this one is for um, our topic today. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's massive. It's our biggest issue yet. 92 pages and it's just full of some awesome stuff but it has been a lot of work getting it out there so I am excited to finally have it out for everyone else to enjoy because I've been loving reading the articles and looking for images for it and it's just it's been one of my favorite issues except I say that all the time every month but it's (laughs) been one of my favorite issues to work on so yeah I'm, I'm excited to share it. And then also we have a new moon circle. I guess when this podcast goes live on Wednesday, it'll be the same night. So I'm getting ready to put that together as well and kind of get organized for that and host our new moon circle. And I just love doing those and seeing everybody and connecting on that deep soul level that we do. It's just so amazing. And that medicine is always exactly what I need. So I'm looking forward to that. So that's pretty much what's going on in my life cup right now. Uh, What about you, Belinda? Well, in my haste to get ready today, I didn't actually bring a cup in. I could pretend that I have a cup of water, but at least I don't have a cup of soda in here. So I guess that's that's okay. Not drinking anything. I didn't bring anything with me. Uh, This week in my life cup, I finally got a reading from the exceptionally talented astrologist Jackie Sab that oh my gosh that woman was so spot on and she she pretty much helped me make sense of some of the things that have happened in my life it gave me hope it gave me purpose and it also really showed me it showed me that I need to get out of my own way like I just <laughs> I loved everything about it an interesting thing that I learned is I am October 23rd, right? That was when I was born. And it's a cusp because uh, in Australia where I'm born, October 23rd, you're a Libra. So I am a Libra. But here in uh, America, those dates, October 23rd, shows that you're Scorpio. So it depends on what time you're born on October 23rd of which one you are. Well, I am uh, a Libra, but she told me I'm a Libra by two minutes. Was it one minute? One or two minutes. That's how close on the cusp I was. (laughs) And so she was able to shed light that the the first two years of my life, I was very much a Libra baby. And then from two to about 32, my, uh, my chart moved into Scorpio. And I was like, oh, that just makes so much sense. And I love that. I love, you know, I don't mind going through things and experiencing things if I know why. 
and if it has a purpose. And so she was just really helpful in kind of narrowing my focus to of where I, I want to go, how I'll get there, the strengths that I have within me and some of the shadows that I need to heal and and things like that. So it's just such, oh my gosh, it was just a beautiful, beautiful reading. So I, I just, I loved everything about it. Other than that, just making sure my articles are in for the magazine and I read through some of them and oh my gosh, it's a good issue. I was blown away by uh, a lot of the articles. I think I've pretty much read all of them. I love I love reading and seeing what everyone else thinks and the insights that they bring to the table and the way they let their light shine. I, mm-hmm. I love everything about that. Other than that, just working, still being grandma, uh, things are, are doing really well in that aspect. And my garden is still doing really good. I fed my neighbor, who's also my landlord, some tomatoes over the fence today. And he was like, whoa, those are good. And I'm like, yeah. And so. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. So the toddler let you share some of the tomatoes? <laughs> Um, the toddler was inside, <laughs> getting his shoes on. So I quickly swiped on. What happens? Like it, it's interesting. If you don't mind me taking just a few seconds, it's really interesting. When I planned out my garden at the beginning of the year and in bulk, when I was setting out exactly what I wanted, my husband doesn't eat. He doesn't like tomatoes very much. So I thought, oh, one tomato plant will be enough for me. But the baby, he loves those cherry tomatoes. And so, you know what, I'm just going to, and it seemed when I went to the farmer's market, nearly every starter plant that I got was cherry tomatoes. Now we have one here now that is taken on a life of itself. It is, I would say if we allowed it, like if the, the shading, the shade that's over it would stop it and it wasn't like navigating up a trellis, it would be about as tall as me and I'm 5'10". And there's like every day we're picking like 15, 20 cherry tomatoes off. Now, here's the thing. My little toddler, the little sweetheart that he is, um, we made the we made the choice, not the mistake, the choice to pick one off for him a couple of weeks ago and feed it to him like, ooh. So now he just goes and helps himself to the, to the tree. <laughs> So I try and reach the tree before him so I can harvest it, take it inside. And so some of us can enjoy it in our salads. No, they, the past two, three days now, no tomato has made it inside the house. because <laughs> And he'll come up and he'll see it in the basket and he'll just go, hello, I want one. And I'll bend down, I'll give him one. And next thing you know, these little cute hands grabbing them all and he's just shoving them in his mouth. And then I put... I put the tray down because I was I had to trellis something. I had to take care of one of my plants. And I came back and next thing I know, there's there's um one unripe tomato that I'd accidentally pulled. One unripe tomato left and a bell pepper that he had dropped on the floor. And I was like, okay, okay. So yeah, today the neighbor got them. And there's still a few <laughs> hidden inside. But yeah, and, but there was three. I'm telling you, there was three on the outside of the, the bush. He ate them. So, yeah. But they're fulfilling the purpose. It was the intention that I had yeah. that he would enjoy them. I just thought that he would enjoy them from a plate inside the house. So. <laughs> With maybe random. But I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was something. Lettuce. <laughs> a little bit of salad but he is loving he's loving the garden we're loving it and I'm definitely going to have more cherry uh trees not cherry trees cherry tomato bushes next year when I plant um so that yeah that's on my list so yeah I I've loved I've loved watching he he watches what we do he picks up my other glove and pretends to pull things and he picked up a wrench the other day and pretended they were shears because they're up a height the pruning shears oh he'll pull off one of the leaves and smell it and get this big grin and happy (laughs) fate like expression and I'm like we're doing something right we're doing something right and then he runs across one of the beds and hides under the trellis and so and then I'm like come on baby come be under there but yeah the garden has been probably one of the best things our family has done this year. So I love that. I love that. And I love what you're sharing in the magazine as well, the lessons you've learned. I know that started off as one article that had to be split up into two parts. And now we have a, a part three this month. And 
hopefully we'll have more because there's so much to learn in life that, you know, nature teaches yeah. us and the garden teaches us growing things. So, I Well, I have more lessons in my notes from the garden, so there'll be another article. <laughs> I'm just like, sometimes, sometimes we feel um, inspired and prompted to do things that we don't understand why, but we do it anyway. We do it wholeheartedly and the rewards and the blessings that we reap from it. A lot of healing for me has happened through this garden out here. Yeah. You know, yeah. recognizing my need for perfectionism and letting it go like it it's not just oh I need to not uh, focus on being perfect no I'm actually applying it out there I'm learning and I'm doing it and I'm creating those habits so yeah I I love my garden I encourage everyone you know if you are if you're able to even if it's just a few pots and plants and some pots it's so rewarding you learn so much you make me want to have one. I've never wanted one before. Um, actually, I've had them before, like oversized ones. Not me. Um, it was just came with the terrain where we lived, and I hated it. I've always hated the gardening, but now you've made me want to maybe put one together next year. If I'm still here <laughs> in this condo, it, it would be a container garden, um, but I could do something, I'm sure. I'll put you to work in my garden when you come to visit. Oh, thanks. Yeah? <laughs> I'll put you to work, get your hands all dirty, stick them in the, the dirt. Okay, this episode, we're going to shine the starlight on another author. And this episode is sponsored by her. She's a USA Today bestselling author. Her name is Caitlin Mancini. And she is the creator of sci-fi romance and fantasy romance world and the stories within them. And so we uh, invite you to go check out Amazon. We'll put her name in the show notes. You can go check it out if that's something that you enjoy reading. There is always something fun and magical going on in the world and with of starlight and moonbeams. Subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly news, updates on our offerings, and exclusive gifts and promo codes for our shop. You can also hit the subscribe or follow button on your app to queue up new episodes as soon as they drop and follow us on the socials. Find everything through our link tree, which is provided in the show notes. Also, please consider leaving a review or a comment something that lets other listeners know what you enjoyed about this episode so they might want to tune in too. So uh, every quarter we dedicate one issue of Moonbeams magazine to a specific theme and our August issue is all about the creatures of our world and beyond. And the issue is freshly released, making it a good way to serve the tea on magical creatures, specifically those of the so-called fantasy realms, such as dragons, phoenixes, and unicorns. So that is what we're going to talk about today. Well, a fun thing to get started in is, you know, of course, to talk, uh, the creatures that we're going to talk about today, they're pretty much the things of legends and myth. I'd be surprised if you saw them walking down the street today or hiding in your garden. Um, maybe, I don't know. But uh, for this issue or for this episode, let's get started talking. And the first thing up is dragons. And that is actually something that I wrote an article about in this uh, latest issue. And it was interesting because I never thought that they were evil but when I researched it, it says that dragons were viewed as these evil, ferocious, scary beasts. You know, this, this saying, slay your dragons. When you read fairy tales, it, it's this, the handsome knight has to rescue the, the beautiful princess. And she's being trapped in a castle by an evil dragon. And how the dragon must be killed in order to save the day. Or the dragon is terrorizing villages and stealing treasure and his hoard of gold and greed. And all these just horrible kinds of things. And what I started to notice was Christianity um, kind of villainized the dragon 
in literature, in the way that these myths and legends have been passed down because they used the dragon as a symbol of evil. In some cases, they even describe the devil or their form of the devil as being dragon-like with wings and horns and all that kind of thing. And what was interesting, when we move away from the Western cultures and went over to the Eastern cultures, like in Asia and places like that, dragons were actually the complete opposite of how Western civilization uh, portrayed them and basically taught about them. They were considered protective. They were guardians. They were um, considered friendly. If you came upon a dragon, it was actually good luck. It brought prosperity. Uh, the dragon was a symbol of the emperor. It was imperial worth and value. And the descendants of the imperial family were said to come from uh, the dragon and things like that. And so we see this very different viewpoints of dragons. And that actually reminds me, I have a dragon in my um, Mystic Rules book. And I had read somewhere and my dragon was inspired actually by my nail guy. And, he, and I wanted to write him in as a creature. And he had a tattoo of a koi on his arm. And there is a legend, there is a myth that says that the koi would swim upstream, up a mountain, and if they reached the top and threw themselves off in faith off the top of the mountain, then the gods would bless them for their efforts and turn them into dragons. And that's oh, wow. actually the legend that I used in the Mystic Wolves. Again, that doesn't sound evil at all. It's It comes across that being a dragon is a blessing. It is a reward. And so I know we talked about it, Christy, it made me draw a parallel between dragons and women, us as women, how through time, over time, we've been villainized. Uh, instead of seeing and acknowledging the power that each of us hold, us as women hold, that dragons are these powerful creatures where something to be controlled, the image of women is, and the image of dragons was controlled, manipulated, and twisted to where it's something to be feared, you know? Oh, this woman's doing this. Oh, we fear her. Oh, she must be a witch. Oh, this dragon must be feared. Oh, you know, all those, all the sins that you have, you know, you must slay them like a dragon. Your sin is like a dragon. The evil that you, whatever, whatever you're doing that we don't like, it's likened to that. And I thought, Another nice way, another cool way of viewing a dragon would be they're the keeper of the shadow, the shadows within us. If you imagine the dragon resides in caves, in caverns, that kind of thing, and they sit on a pile of gold. It's not a greed. It's their treasure. It's something that they hold of value, something of worth. And we can liken the dragon to the keeper of that gold within us. Um, the treasure, we're that treasure. I just thought that was an interesting, in a nutshell, of just the different way that we've viewed dragons and a positive way that we can view dragons and why they would be important nowadays in modern times of still honoring their position of being a protector, a guardian. They guard the treasure. They're not afraid to be in the dark and guard what's important. What do you think? Christy. Yeah, you just said a whole bunch of stuff. And <laughs> every time I was about to chime in, and then it was like more and more. And so you pretty much just said it all. Um chatterbox. Yeah, they they're protectors. I've always thought of dragons as protectors. And you know, we when we did talk about it and you said, well, people feared them because they couldn't control them. They were threats and they didn't know how to handle the threat except to, to, to kill it. And so then I was like, yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. But I just, I remember they were definitely fearsome, you know, to be respected though. You know, you respect the dragon because if you treat them right, they will help you. You know, they're, they're, they're protecting. They usually have some kind of gift to share and, you know, you think of um, Lord of the Rings or what was the other one I was just thinking of? 
Boy, I can't remember. Even Game of Thrones, you know, the dragons were revered and they were definitely respected. They were feared um, because they did a lot of damage. But, you know, with Khaleesi, she treated them right and she was their mother and she took care of them as though they were her children and they gave her everything that she was going after. So... Yeah, it, it's just really interesting, and it's not surprising that there is a difference between the Eastern and the Western, and the Western is the more violent, kill the beast kind of thing, you know, compared to the Eastern, right. which is more respect and revere, and and that's a good reflection of life, too. You know, you can choose to the violent route. You can choose to be violent this morning, or you can choose the the more bigger, broader picture that really shows the full perspective of things. So anyway, yeah, I really love your take on the keeper of the shadow because that is, that was a really cool thing that you had said when we did the the light in the shadows retreat last fall, we had a good discussion about how the shadow in your shadow Um, which we'll talk about more as we get into the fall because that is shadow season. But your shadow in a nutshell is what you have shoved away of yourself. You've hidden it in the dark because you were told that it's not good. And it can be anything from being a toddler and, and being told we don't bite. And so, you know, if you were a biter, you shoved that part of yourself into the shadow. There are also things in there that we put into the shadow that are good, but someone told us we weren't good at it. And so there, that's why we say there's gold in the shadow. And I just love this idea of our dragons protecting our gold within until we're ready to actually go dig and find it. And then there are helpers. So I thought that was really cool how you said that. I hadn't really thought of it that way until you said it. So that was, that was just really neat. Okay, so let's move on to our next mythical creature, and that is the unicorn. And I say mythical with quotes around it because the first tellings of the unicorn come out of India, and the reports made it sound like they were very real. There were enough of them, um, but it was a, call it an, an ass with a horn, a single horn protruding out of its forehead. Now, a lot of today's scientists will say that they were talking about a rhinoceros. And what's really interesting is others say that it was some kind of mishmash between a land animal and the narwhal, which uh, sounds kind of strange how someone could mix those up as they're talking about their travels and adventures in a foreign country. You know, it's like, how would they even see a narwhal? So I'm not so sure about that one. But yeah, everything that I was reading about the unicorns in the beginning, it sounds like they might have very well existed in some form or another. And not as a rhinoceros, but um, some reports was a goat with just a single horn. And then others were the horse with the single horn. But I don't know. And we all like to think we, t- we take that back to childhood, you know, especially little girls who love their ponies and just the idea of having a magical one with a horn and all pastel colors and everything. I mean, that was my my kind of image that I had when I was a little girl, you know, and I, I just love the idea of there being unicorns out there and we just never get to see them. The story in this issue of Moonbeams Magazine was written by USA Today bestselling author Morgan Wiley. And she wrote just a really sweet little story about the unicorn that I hope everyone will enjoy. But what what was kind of your thoughts of like growing up and, you know, what your experiences were with the unicorn? I think for me, the unicorn was just something that transcended real life. It was everything that was magic. You said Mm -hmm. the sparkle, the glitter. It was just everything that captures like that innocence and that purity of childhood. Mm. And it's interesting because we have these memories of unicorns and coloring them and having them and and all that kinds of things. And I have a five-year-old niece who absolutely adores unicorn. She just had a birthday and I sent her over things that had unicorns too. And so it's a magic and it's a creature 
that fills us with wonder and belief that is the word transcends time. Like it doesn't matter where you encounter, whether you're our age, whether you're a, a little girl that's six, it just appeals to you mm-hmm. so much. And that kind of, uh, one of the things that I do know about unicorns that I kind of laughed when I saw is, but it goes along that same thread, is that Scotland uh, chose the unicorn to be its national animal, which I think, (laughs) I'm like, of course. And and before I looked up why they did, I thought, uh, my first assumption is, okay, the unicorn is the epitome of magic, the Uh epitome of belief and purity and innocence. Of course, it comes from a place that believe in the fae and fairies and and Mm -hmm. those kinds of you know to me they go hand in hand but yeah it says that they've been linked with scotland for centuries it's not just recently because in celtic mythology the unicorn was a symbol of purity and innocence yeah so that is one thing that has just uh, that it has it's a rock solid mythology um tales of dominance and chivalry associated with the unicorn maybe why it was chosen as as Scotland's national animal. And so, yeah, that's one of those things that has been passed down. And you talked a little bit about what kind of animal, like with the reports it could be. It goes back as early as 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 years ago, Greek travelers brought home tales of unicorns. And there are artwork as early as the Mesopotamian era, you know, that chunk of time, they have artwork that depicts the, and it looks like a horse. I'm looking at it right now, a horse with a horn. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's just, it's interesting. It's for whatever reason, whether unicorns existed or they didn't, there's a reason why what they are and what they represent has stood the test of time. And still are just as important as they were back then as they are now. And I think as adults, we forget magic. We forget the wonder that comes from magic, the sparkle, the, the glittery newness, that innocence. You know, that's something that wears off very, very quickly, unfortunately, as we grow into adulthood and our focus and our vision changes. And so... I think as much as unicorns are for kids, they're especially important for for adults. They're important yeah. for us to remember to tap back into that magic of our own. Right. The the one thing I love about unicorns too that's also universal is they have yet to be villainized, you know, vilified. They are always respected and you think of any, you know, literature or movies or anything someone hurts a unicorn they are evil <laughs> you know is it, you i right? know they're they're the villain yeah you do not hurt unicorns it doesn't matter what story it is it, it's just because it goes back to that purity and that innocence and that wonder and belief in magic that you know the unicorn represents and so yeah i wrote a story for havenwood falls about a unicorn. She comes about it in a, a different way than you read in a lot. And she's not a white unicorn, but there's still that wonder there because she's the only one of her kind. And that's how I think, you know, a lot of what the magic is in the unicorn is they're so rare. There's not a lot of them. They're never seen, you know, it's just this story of wonder that just gets passed down from generation to generation and and yeah you're right we still hold on to it It, it's it's really cool they're revered they become a sacred symbol of like you said of purity and innocence and so and that wonder so yeah it's kind of interesting um we'll talk about a couple other things that we have on our list that's that kind of falls in that that line of people say that they're real and they've been seen but they don't have that hold that same heightened level that the unicorn holds of of magic and wonder and these other ones they have been kind of I don't want to say vilified but they're feared we'll say and that is the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot you know those are both creatures that may or may not exist in our world there's been enough sightings like with the unicorns in past days there's been enough sightings that maybe they do exist but there's been no proof that they do 
but they have a little bit different kind of reputation. (laughs) It's almost like they're mocked. If, if you believe in unicorns, it's one thing and the magic Mm -hmm. of that. But if you were to say you believe in the Loch Ness monster or Bigfoot, you're kind of looked at weird. And I, and I think it just depends on where you are too. Like where you're from, if it's a cultural thing, Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're nowhere near. Yeah. So yeah, the we didn't write anything about the Loch Ness monster, um, but everybody's kind of heard of about her in the lake in Scotland. Here we go back to Scotland. I don't know a lot of the mythology around her. I just know that you know there's supposedly sightings, and maybe she's this monster under the lake there. Now Bigfoot. I've heard a lot about because that's the big legend here in the United States. And actually it's spread around the world, which makes it interesting because you have the Yeti, you have the Sasquatch, um, Bigfoot. They're all considered probably the same that may or may not exist. People, you know, go for hunts and they've heard them, they've seen them. They just can't capture that evidence of them. So is it because they're not real or is it because they have a certain kind of magic that prevents you from capturing, you know, the proof that you need for them? One of our contributors for the Moonbeams magazine, Dymphine Frazier, she wrote about Bigfoot this time. And I loved her article because her dad was very much into hunting Bigfoot, hunting evidence of the Sasquatch. And I just loved how she related, you know, that that was kind of a fun family thing for them to do and it it gave them something to bond over which is really cool you know because you can you can kind of laugh about it like oh do they exist do they not are people just seeing things are they drunk are they you know seeing a different kind of animal or even a person is someone playing a prank but when you're out there and you're in that subculture of it and bonding over it I mean that gives you memories and, and those are magical you know, those are those are adventures that you spend with your family. And it was with her dad. So she'll always have those memories to go back on. And so I, I thought that was really neat how she shared that. Okay, so let's move on to the Phoenix, which I absolutely love. It's whenever I'm asked what imagery do you most associate with or resonate with, it's the Phoenix. I was born in Phoenix. I've written a series of books called um, The Book of Phoenix. I have a Phoenix tattoo and I have always been told since I was young and I think it was because being the only child of divorced parents and one was military and the other was she just couldn't stay in one place for very long. So I traveled a lot and that or I moved a lot. You know, I, I went to... I think it was 11 elementary schools from kindergarten to fifth grade. I went to 14, I think, schools altogether, if I counted them right. Holy cow. So I, yeah, I moved a lot and that was a lot of starting over. And I think that kind of gave me that resiliency to be able to start over because I've done it many times. I reinvented myself, you know, so I really relate to the Phoenix, to you know, whatever the ashes, whatever caused the ashes, the phoenix to burn up. And we'll go, I'll go into the legend in a second. But, you know, being able to rise out of those ashes into something new is something that a lot of people talk to me about. And, you know, they're like, how do you do it? And it's kind of been my thing. And so I really resonate with the phoenix. The phoenix is the a perfect symbol of the birth, death and rebirth cycle that is apparent everywhere in our world and we experience over and over in our lifetimes. So even if you think, oh, I've, you know, I've never had to do that. You have, you've gone through the whole process many, many times. But the phoenix itself, the creature was reported back from being seen in Egypt. The phoenix would fly off and live for about 500 years and then it would come back and build a nest in Egypt and set itself on fire. Or sometimes um, in some legends, it just spontaneously combusted. Some legends say that out of that fire, it burnt down to ashes and then it rebirthed. It was the same one that was reborn again into a baby bird. And then it would grow and go live its life for 500 years and then come back to the nest and do it again. Um, Other legends say that a new phoenix was born out of those ashes. 
So basically the phoenix would go live its life, come back to the nest. And when it knew that its lifetime was over and it was time to do this so that a new phoenix could be born. Um, Legends say that there could only be one phoenix at a time, which I find interesting because the reflection and the resonance I get with the phoenix, I don't feel like, you know, if you reflect that into actual life, that's not true. You know, like I said, we've all gone through that birth, death, rebirth cycle. So the fact that there were, there could only be one phoenix at a time, that part I just don't quite align with. Yeah. But the rest of it, I, I just, I this thought of this bird, you know, just rising from the ashes and it's it grows and it, it just becomes its most glorious self and flies off to, you know, be its its highest form. And it just, and then it knows when it's time to regenerate and do it again. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love the phoenix. I love the imagery with the big plumes and the long tail. Um, sometimes they're fiery, sometimes they're colorful. So what's your experience been with the phoenix, Belinda? To me, it's always been a symbol of healing and of transformation of, Mm. I always liken it to the refiner's fire where, you know, you go through something and it burns it all away and you come out new, you come out whole, just the same as the phoenix, it's born. And then when it dies, it bursts into flame. And from the ashes, it's born again, kind of feel like the phoenix it's not the same phoenix, or it could be the same phoenix, but if we likened it to ourselves, when we go through something, and it is that refiner's fire, and it's hard, and we emerge and we're reborn, we may still be the same person, but we're new because we've learned something. Yeah. So where we kind of are reborn we are kind of new and so uh, like you I love I love the imagery of the phoenix I love the purpose of it I love that it's a symbol of hope and of transformation that well just as the same as like you would think oh my gosh bursting in flames is not good it's not good something good comes from death you know rebirth um something new new experiences it's nice to know that there is a cycle and that there's a purpose and a reason behind things and like you said we go through that cycle repeatedly you know mm-hmm. each each year different experiences when we go through our goals and projects and things like that when we're healing when we're evolving and growing we go through that new relationship and then it falls apart and then it's you know we walk away with knowledge and wisdom so yeah Yeah. to me that's another it's another thing that hasn't been villainized where you think that it would be a bad thing it's actually got that positive light shined on it yeah it it has a light of power to it yeah yeah Um, and it's empowering too because the phoenix the death is its own choice that process has started by the phoenix itself. The transformation is within the control of the phoenix. So I guess that that would definitely absolutely be an empowering symbol for people, right? Right, right. And and then just the coming out of that stronger and better, it's definitely representative of the alchemical process. You start with alchemy of burning away all everything until you get down to the essence of you know, burning everything down to the ashes. And then from there, you alchemize, you transmute those particles into your gold. And so, you know, the the alchemists with the lead who are trying to alchemize lead into gold, they would burn it all the way down and then take the particles out that they believed could become gold. And when we talk about alchemy for our souls and for our healing and our growth, It's the same thing. We burn down like the phoenix to just our very core, our very core essence. And then from there, we take what 
is good. The gold, we take that we, and we, here we go back into the shadows. We go into the shadows to find that gold, to bring it back into ourselves. You know, those things that we cast off and said, oh, those are no good. Well, when you burn everything down, you discover, wait a minute, there is good in there. I have that talent. I have that ability. I have that good memory. I have that thing I like about myself that I had hidden before because someone else told me I should or someone else mocked me for it or someone else, you know, said I was bad at it. And so, yeah, we bring that back in and we rise up from those ashes like the phoenix. And it's just, it's the same in alchemy as you bring those, you know, one of the stages is conjunction and uh, union and you bring everything together again to create that whole that is better than what it was uh, before you started. So, yeah, the phoenix is a great representation of that process as is the Ouroboros, those two are often used for um, alchemy. And the Ouroboros you've seen is the snake eating its own tail. And that's just to show, you know, that you're continuously cycling through and your your head is meeting your tail all the time because, <laughs> you know, as things are coming to an end, every ending is a beginning, you know, and that's what the Ouroboros represents and also the Phoenix just in different ways that every ending is a beginning and every beginning has an ending but it just continues on and i i love those concepts and we've talked about it it's what our new program that we'll be offering next year uh, well, we'll be offering it at the end of this year, but it'll start in January. A little more hints there. But they're about the phoenix and the Ouroboros and also the butterfly, which is another one of transformation and metamorphosis, which we're all very familiar with the butterfly's stories. So we're talking about fantastical beasts this time, so we won't get into it. But, you know, that, that whole transformation thing, it's just, it's crazy when you can understand it and where you are in the process, how much different your life can be and how much change you can bring into it. And, um, you know, take those lessons from the Phoenix, from the Ouroboros and make them into the life that you actually want to create. So. I kind of got this image too, that with the Phoenix, when they initiate that burn, there's no resistance they accept that this is part mm -hmm. of their process, that this is part of the transformation. And that's a that's a powerful lesson for us and a powerful yeah. insight for us to carry in that when we're going through the process, when we know that the change is around the corner, when we're we're being required to step up, to rise up, to level up and and to transform something, to not resist it, to allow that part of the process to take you where you need to go because it's going to lead you to healing it's going to lead you to rebirth that newness that wholeness again and so I thought that's it's been a powerful thing for me as well to not resist the journey not resist those times that are so challenging because it's part of that process so what a yeah. great example yeah and, you know, sometimes it's the courage to actually burn it all down. You know, sometimes yeah. that's what you have to do. We hold on to things so tightly. We get so attached to how things are or how we think they should be. And it keeps us from being able to open up and receive what really is meant for us or and to create what we really do want because we're holding on to something that really is not meant for us and so the phoenix is that imagery of i'm burning it all down and you know you you have you can, you can get that image of the woman just setting fire to her house or her life or whatever and just walking away and being okay with it and you know that there that's a really extreme version of it but sometimes that's what is required and the phoenix gives you the courage to do that because you know you're going to be okay. You know you're going to come out of it okay. But you have to take those first steps. You have to light that match. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. The willingness and the courage. It always makes me think of this place up here in Flagstaff where I live. I think it's Sunset Crater and it always reminds me of the phoenix and, and that process um, where there are lava flow. It's all dried now. 
you would think mm -hmm. in the path of lava that is hot fire like insane hot it burns and destroys everything in its path you would think that nothing would grow there again but i always marvel when i go there and i see that there are trees that are growing in the midst of this lava field and mm -hmm. it's like birth death rebirth there's something mm -hmm. good that comes from the journey that comes from the process of transformation of burning it down of that kind of destruction and so yeah. what we would perceive as destruction so yeah right right so we talked about some of our favorite fantastical beasts this time maybe in a future episode i think we're planning to do more 3d world animals we'll be talking about animal medicine and totems and spirit animals and all of those fun things. But today was fun just to talk about these creatures that are considered fantastical and not, you know, part of our world, except they are because it's all just one, you know, if it's in your imagination, it exists somewhere and you can bring it into this world or you can leave it in that spirit realm, but it's there. And it's always there for you to tap into. And the magic of them is always there. The messages, the lessons, the the symbology, like of the phoenix, the reminder of, you know, being courageous to burn, to allow things to die off so that the new can be reborn. It's just, it's once again, you know, we're, we our goal is to bring more magic to life, to our life and to our listeners and our readers and our community. And this is just one way, you know, that we can do that is through these fantastical creatures. So yeah, this has been a great episode. I like talking about it because you can definitely see how these animals have been passed down through generation and over time throughout history for a reason. They're a reason why they're a symbol and mm -hmm. their stories have stand, stood the test of time and that they're so universal. There's a reason why we have them now. And so by all means, we invite you to go diving down the rabbit hole if you'd like to learn more about them and see yeah. how maybe you can use some of their magic in your own life or in your art, uh, whatever your creative projects you're using. Go down that, that rabbit hole. So many different myths and tellings. See which one resonates with you. But yeah, that is our episode for today. So, Belinda, what starburst are you sharing today? Okay, the starburst that I'm using, I'm sharing today is for Al Knowing. That is a store that's on Facebook, and also they have a website, alknowing.com. And it's uh, sisters who they've created candles and curiosities. That's what they have on their website. I love it. Candles and curiosities. And what they do is they pair their and they craft their candles with special intentions. Their whole idea is in being able to use everyday things to be able to include your intentions and in spell work that is not elaborate, that it's just very easy and simple to to use and I actually met one of the sisters at the Winslow Psychic Fair that they had last year and hopefully I'll see her this in September and she has just some of the most prettiest and resonating candles like mm -hmm. I um, I actually got a Rose of Jericho from her which I had been wanting to get for the longest time and she explained it, uh, the concept behind it and how to use it. She, They do custom candle work. And I love all things about it. Like I've, she has a gnome candle that I want mm -hmm. so badly. But yeah, I just wanted to give a starburst shout out to her and her sisters because it, it, it's a, a great thing. Like, you know, if you want to send, send your intentions up to the universe if you wanted to use a bit of candle fire magic but you're worried about what other people might think in your family it's real easy with candles because we all use them we all use them for lights or pretty smells and stuff like that and so definitely check her out they've got a lot of great offerings on on their website what about you christy what's your starburst today um well going back to owl knowing 
uh, she, Stephanie, wrote an article in the July issue of Moomoo's magazine about candle magic. So if you're new to that, she gives some, you know, step-by-step how to do it. And it's very informative and supportive. So um, if you want to go back and read that article. So my starburst, since we're talking about animals and we're all about the beasts and the creatures this month, is it's a local place, but they um, can use help from all over. They are called the Shy Wolf Sanctuary, and they are a rescue for wolves and wolf dogs, and they also have um, some wild cats and other creatures that they take in. They have some that are permanent residents, but they also do foster programs, and they're always needing donations. They're always needing food. Hurricane Ian uh, last fall did some damage to their lands and their trees and everything, and so, you know, they've been working on uh, bringing that all together and making sure everything's okay for all of the animals. But they have some gorgeous wolves. Um, you can go to their website at shywolfsanctuary.org and you can see some of the wolves they have um, there that are permanent residents and also check out what else they're doing. And if you feel up to it, to donate if you feel so called. Because these kinds of sanctuaries are all over the country and I imagine the world. And they need as much help as we can give them because they are doing a very important job of protecting our wild animals, especially those who have been um, either harmed by humans or mistreated by, you know, because they've been tried to been domesticated and it didn't work out. And so then, you know, they were mistreated by their owners or just, you know, domesticated, but then set out into the wild where they can't defend themselves. And so, you know, these kinds of sanctuaries do amazing work. So whether it's Shy Wolf or somewhere else, we hope you'll consider supporting them in one way or another. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us for this cuppa. Please come back next Wednesday when we'll be serving the tea on another deliciously magic topic. You can find Starlight Tea on Spotify, Apple, Good Pods, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Player FM. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us at Starlight Tea Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you have a question or a topic suggestion, feel free to DM us or email hello at starlightteapodcast.com. We hope you'll join us next week. And in the meantime, remember to keep your teacup overflowing so you can serve from the saucer. Now go make some magic.